Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christina Schaffner, and today my guest is Dr. Sina McCullough, and we're going to be talking about how you can reverse autoimmune illness. So Dr. Sina McCullough is the creator of the online program, Go Wild, How I Reverse Chronic and Autoimmune Disease. She's authored two books about our food supply, Hands Off My Food and Beyond Labels, which was co-authored with Joel Salentin. She earned a PhD in nutrition and BS in neurobiology, physiology, and behavior with a minor in exercise physiology from the University of California at Davis. Dr. McCullough also taught biochemistry and bioenergetics at UC Davis. She was the uh, director of research and development for a nutraceutical company where she formulated supplements and conducted research studies to determine product efficacy. Dr. McCullough is an expert in disease reversal, functional medicine, and energy medicine, as well as a certified master herbalist. She co-hosts the Beyond Labels podcast with Joel Salentin from Polyface Farm, and she hosts a cooking show titled Easy Peasy Cooking with Dr. Sina. She's also written articles for numerous publications, including the Epoch Times, Green Med Info, Dr. Axe, and Natural News. After nearly dying in her early 40s, Dr. McCullough fully reversed an autoimmune disease without the use of medications. Now she's dedicated to helping others avoid the health challenges she has faced. She offers consultations and an online coaching program called Go Wild that teaches people how to reverse chronic and autoimmune diseases. She also offers cooking workshops, corporate healing programs, and free educational material on her website, drcinamacullough.com. Dr. Cena feels like a long lost sister that I really enjoy connecting when I was at Polyface Farms earlier this year. And she dives deep into how she reversed her chronic illness. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. So welcome, Cena. It's really an honor to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Thank you for having me. Oh, and you know, we recently connected a few months ago, and I was just so honored to be part of your amazing summit that you had it live um, at Polyface Farms. And we connected with such a wonderful group of people. And I got to know more about your work and your amazing story. And I wanted you to be on the podcast to introduce you to my community and just, yeah, just share your story because your story is unfortunately a common story these days. And we see chronic illnesses on the rise. We see autoimmunity on the rise. We see cancers, neurological illnesses, or children are sick. And so I just love that you've been in not only the trenches with patients, but also been able to really live this work uh, personally and know what's possible on a deep personal level. So why don't you just introduce your story to our audience and share what you struggled with and how you recovered? Sure. I'd love to. Uh, yeah, this was never my intention with, you know, getting in the field of reversing chronic and autoimmune diseases. He said I got into it because um, of my own experiences. I'm, tra- I'm a trained uh, nutritionist, right? PhD in nutrition. So I'm supposed to be this expert in food. But what happened was in my 30s, I almost died from an advanced stage of an autoimmune disease. I had uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, it was accompanied by arsenic poisoning and leaky gut and deficiencies in 15 nutrients, even though I was taking a multivitamin and mineral every single day, I was still deficient. In fact, I was so deficient that I was borderline for both pellagra and beriberia, which as you know, both of those diseases can lead to death and have led to death in in the United States. And now it didn't start like overnight, right? This, it took about 20 years for the disease to actually be to become a full-blown um, case of an autoimmune disease. It started in my early 20s. 
with gastrointestinal symptoms. And there was seemingly no rhyme or reason. It was like, I can eat pizza from my favorite restaurant and have no problem. The next week I'd go eat the same pizza from the same restaurant. And it looked like I was five months pregnant because I was mm-hmm. so bloated and like with debilitating cramps. Um, and I saw Western medicine doctors from the very beginning. And the first doctor I saw diagnosed me with irritable bowel syndrome, which mm-hmm. as you know, is just the catch-all group, meaning they don't know what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, he prescribed Tagamet. I was, like I said, I was in my, my early twenties. I was not about to rely on a prescription medication just to be able to eat. So I kept looking for answers, kept going to one, from one doctor to the next. And they shuffled me around from one specialist to the next. Meanwhile, my symptoms started to progress. So over about 20 years, I had numerous symptoms, um, brain fog, chronic sinus infections. I had, you know, bumps on the back of my arms. I had that since childhood, actually. Chronic constipation. I had um, increased susceptibility to colds, getting the cold, getting the flu. And I would get them for like twice as long as everybody else. Multiple food sensitivities. Um, towards the end, I could only eat um, about a half a page full of, of foods, like Everything else made me sick. Even things like apples and bananas were making me sick. Eventually, I ended up having um, a tumor on my eye, on the sclera of my eye. And, you know, and keep in mind, I was seeing doctors this whole time, right? Nobody had any answers. They were able to tell me that they knew that the tumor was going to grow over the cornea of my eye and it would blind me, but they didn't know how to stop it. So that <laughs> happened. I had um, kidney stones. I had hair loss. Um, and I ultimately had five miscarriages mm. and all the while looking for help. Oh, and I had so many tests done. I mean, you would not believe how many tests I had done so much money on tests. I had like three colonoscopies, two subgonoscopies, breath tests, urine tests, fecal tests. Mm. I, mean, I even had exploratory surgery at oh, one wow. point. That's how desperate I was for help. And the last doctor that I saw told me that the symptoms had to be in my head. Because they couldn't label it, right? We're all about labels in Western medicine. They couldn't label the condition that I had. So I knew at that point that if I had any hope of recovering, I was going to be on my own. So that's when I stepped out of the Western medicine system. And my husband became a co-detective with me. Um, He has a PhD in chemical engineering. So he was a good partner. And so we scoured the scientific literature looking for any clues we could find. And we stumbled upon leaky gut. And now this was back in the day when it was not talked about. Like now everybody knows about it, right? It's mainstream. But no one really talked about it then. And gluten-free was just kind of coming on the scene. There was a small section in the grocery store of like gluten-free processed foods. And that was it. So um, we theorized I had leaky gut and that I needed to go gluten-free and remove other chemicals from my diet, like pesticides, like glyphosate and, you know, synthetic chemicals, artificial flavors, things like that. So I did all that and I would get better and then I would get worse. So I went on this yo-yo where I would try all these different diets. I would GAPS diet, Candida diet, like you name it. I did diet elimination reintroduction. And mind you, I was trained in that, right? And so I was able to identify most of the foods that were giving me problems, but not all of them. And then um, eventually, um, after about 20 years of trying to find an answer and getting nowhere, um, I hit rock bottom and I I could not get off the floor. I was in too much pain to sit up. Um, Every time I took a breath in, my ribs felt like they were going to break. When I chewed food, my teeth felt like they were going to fall out. And I couldn't even wrap my hand around a cup because the arthritis was so debilitating at that point. 
my son, who was six at the time, he actually remembers having to hold a cup with a straw up to my mouth just so I can take a drink of water. So imagine the childhood trauma for him, right? So um, I hit that rock bottom point. And that's when we knew that if I didn't do something drastic, that I I was going to die. You know, I was already experienced advanced muscle wasting. I lost 20 pounds in one month. I was eating constantly like spoonfuls of avocado. I couldn't keep the weight on, you know, and this is actually a common thing with advanced stages of autoimmune conditions. So we knew that I was dying and we didn't know where else to turn. So I remember vividly laying in my bed, you know, too weak to get out of the bed and just crying. I'm like, oh, you know, Terry, now just think about it, just crying. And um, that's when I just, I just surrendered to God. And I just said, I can't do it on my own. I've tried everything I know. Please don't let my children grow up without a mother. Um, and so I said, you know, I'll do anything, anything so that my kids have a mother. If you please save me, I will spend the rest of my life helping other people find their second chance. Mm-hmm. And I kid you not the next day. I know I'm like, <laughs> I'm like we're crying. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember it as though it yeah. just happened yesterday, you know, yeah. um, the very next day he opened the first door he brought me down this path that led to complete healing on a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual level, everything that was in 2016. Today I am completely disease-free. I'm not in remission. I do not believe in remission. I'm completely disease-free, no markers of disease in my body. And I am healthier and happier than I've ever been. I have more energy than I've ever had, even more energy than I had as a child. Like I actually have more energy than my kids some days. And as you know, just 10 months ago, I gave birth to a healthy nine pound baby girl and I'm 45. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So, you know, that that's one thing that was, was this, my health journey has been such a blessing for myself and my family on so many levels. One level, which is the obvious one, is that we have no doubt in our minds that autoimmune and chronic diseases are all reversible. You know, this is one thing I learned in my search for answers. Like I've now researched this for over seven years and there's cases all like if you look in the medical and the scientific literature, there are cases of, you know, these diseases being reversed, all kinds of them, you know, cancers being reversed. There's um, cases of spontaneous remissions or what I like to call them spontaneous healings. You know, these do occur. These are medically documented cases of people reversing cancers and MS and lupus and all of these things, even spontaneously. So we know these things exist. Um, it's just they're not very well known right in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we can get into why later if you want. Yeah, um, but that's one of the biggest things that, that I learned is that all of these things are reversible. We do not have to settle for having a disease and we do not have to settle for remission. It is possible to reverse all these conditions. Um, and I've seen it in my own family. My husband developed lupus. He also had Lyme disease and he had um, severe seasonal allergies where if he wasn't taking like the prescription medication every day, he would sneeze constantly until his ribs hurt. Mm -hmm. So all of that reversed. No signs of any of that. Lupus gone, Lyme gone, seasonal allergies gone. My eldest son, he was vaccine damaged, was on the autism spectrum. 
And um, he also had Lyme disease and he had an inflammatory joint disease, um, bumps on the arm, food sensitivities, all of it reversed. All of it. You would never know that he ever had autism. You know, same with my, my youngest son, my mother who came to live with us after her husband passed away. She had a laundry list. I mean, seriously, this laundry list of things. She had kidney failure that started in her twenties and she ended up having a kidney transplant. By the time she moved in with me, that transplanted kidney was failing. She had Hashimoto's, type two diabetes, um, arthritis, high cholesterol. Um, she had cancer, high blood pressure. I mean, you name it. She had it. Polyps in the colon. We were able to reverse all of them, all of those conditions in only seven months. So all of these conditions are reversible. And that's my main message. That's what, like, I'm so grateful for you um, asking me to come on your podcast, because that's what I want people to know is that there is hope. You don't have to settle for being sick. You don't have to settle for the mainstream narrative, the Western medicine narrative, that diseases are not reversible, but we can manage your symptoms with Mm -hmm. medication. And if you're lucky, you'll get into remission. You don't have to settle for that. We know without a doubt, these are all reversible. You brought tears to my eyes on hearing your story. And it's just incredible what you were able to go through and overcome. And, you know, I know you just recently and all I've experienced is this vibrant, healthy, passionate, dedicated, you know, soul. So I I know, I know that you are very, very healthy and well, and, you know, people who are listening might be still on that other side, right? They might still be in the thick of their illness and still searching for answers. Walk us through, Sina, the way you said that first door opened and you were able to heal on all of these levels, but tell us like a little bit more of the details, you know, of what your journey was like to really recover and um, to heal these illnesses. I would suspect that many of the people listening do have some kind of illness, you know, and as you mentioned, children are Mm -hmm. getting chronically sick as well. We now know that over half of all children have a chronic illness. So it is rampant. Um, So thank you for giving a voice to this, Mm -hmm. to give people uh, another option to let them know there is another path. So the path that I took was I never took a prescription medication. All right. Um, I just knew instinctively in my early twenties that the the prescription medications were not going to get to the root of the problem. I can't really tell you how I knew that. I think it might be because growing up, my mother was chronically sick. As I said, her sickness started in her twenties and I saw her story. I unravel. I saw her taking one prescription drug after the next. And then she would have side effects from that. Like a new symptom would appear. Then they put her on another prescription drug to deal with that side effect. And um, she was getting sicker from the drugs than she was from the original kidney disease. So I think that's probably why instinctively I knew I didn't want to go down the same path. I wanted to find the root cause. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't, in my twenties, I didn't have the understanding that I do now, of course, So I didn't know how to find the root cause. Mm -hmm. So I just bounced around from doctor to doctor for, you know, like I said, about 20 years. Now, the interesting thing was, even though I I earned a PhD in nutrition from UC Davis, right? One of the top nutrition schools, Mm -hmm. we were never taught really about what's in the food. And I, this is what I found. This is a really big hangup for people. Um, You know, as you know, Joel Salatin and I just wrote a book called Beyond Labels. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because most people that know us are like, oh, I already know about food labels. I, I don't need that book. But then we give them the book and they start reading it. And they're like, 
I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And one reason why I felt so compelled to write that book with Joel is because it was a food label that kept me really sick. Mm. And here I am supposed to be this expert in food. And I didn't really understand the labels. So um, do you want me to go into that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, no, I would love to yeah, I'd love to hear those, what was keeping you sick and just you know, yes. a handful of things that people might not even know about. Okay. So one of the big things, big obstacles in my way was, remember I told you early on, my husband and I found out in literature about leaky gut and we okay. found out about gluten and I, we theorized I should go gluten-free. And I said, I went gluten-free. And I got better and then I got worse. This is very common for people. So they'll go gluten for what we call traditional gluten-free, right? They'll take out wheat, barley, and rye. And that is the FDA's definition of gluten, right? A gluten-containing food is, is something, it's, it's wheat, barley, and rye. So when you see the label gluten-free, even if it says certified gluten-free, when you see that label on a food, it means the FDA has, has said, yes, that food is free of wheat, barley, and rye. Okay. So I followed that guideline. I trusted the FDA and I ate those gluten-free foods. And so what happens is you eat those foods. And then when you get something oftentimes called gluten-free whiplash, where you get sick again, the reason is because that gluten-free label is actually outdated. That label, that definition came from world war two, right? And so, so they never have updated the definition. We know now that there's not just one gluten protein, right? Alpha gliadin, that's the one we usually think of when you think of wheat. There's not just one gluten protein. There's at least a thousand different gluten proteins. So imagine how many we don't even know of, right? That's how many we know there are. These gluten proteins are not just in wheat, barley, and rye. They're in all grains, Mm. including corn and rice. And Mm. what are most gluten-free processed foods made of? Corn Corn and rice. rice. Those gluten-free foods are not actually gluten-free. So that label is pretty much a lie. It's not a gluten-free food. We know that that they contain gluten. And there's, there's numerous, this is the part that really, it infuriated me when I learned about it, when I was studying this gluten-free label, because that label keeps a lot of us sick. And we know that it is documented in the scientific literature. We knew that corn and rice were keeping people sick back in the 1970s. There are studies published in peer-reviewed scientific literatures, literature showing that corn was um, keeping not only people with celiacs sick, but just people who had gastrointestinal issues like IBS. It was actually causing antibodies to be formed in their gastrointestinal tracts. This is documented. And then you see from like the late 70s moving forward, you see all of these studies, numerous studies published testing this traditional gluten-free diet of the wheat, barley, and rye. One study after the next shows it does not heal the gastrointestinal tract. You know, it, it like in, I'm thinking of one study that um, they had the subjects on this traditional gluten-free diet for about 16 months. And it helped to lower the antibody level, lower the chronic inflammatory levels in the gastrointestinal tract, about 8% of the people. For um, 1% of the people got worse and the rest of the people basically had no change, still had inflammation in their gastrointestinal tract. So we know this diet does not work if it's just the traditional gluten-free diet. Yet this is what 
well-meaning practitioners, you know, and dietitians and medical doctors will say, go gluten-free. If you have celiacs or if you have gluten sensitivity, look Mm -hmm. for that gluten-free label and you'll be fine. But that's not actually the case. It's keeping people sick and it kept me sick. It kept me from healing. So, and then you get to the point, like I wasn't even eating any processed foods after a while, right? Because um, I was getting so sensitive to everything. I took all processed foods out. By that time, the damage had already done been done to my gastrointestinal tract, right? The leaky gut was so severe. I had the arsenic poisoning. I was so sensitive to so many different foods that it was just to that point where it didn't matter that I took out all grains anymore. I had to then do another step. I had to then figure out what are my final food triggers. So see, the earlier you catch it, the you know, when you start having symptoms, the earlier you catch it and start being proactive, the easier it is to reverse it, right? Mm -hmm. Because the more problems you're developing, this is why now we have what we refer to as this autoimmune um, continuum or this autoimmune spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. And we know you just keep moving along this continuum and the end stage of it is cancer. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know enough to reverse my, even though I was trying diligently, Mm -hmm. I didn't know enough and there wasn't enough information out there in the mainstream to um, help me reverse it quickly, you know, Mm -hmm. when the symptoms started. So I had to go that next step and I ended up doing a laboratory test, Mm -hmm. um, a functional test to determine my final food triggers. And would you know it, my final food triggers, well, dairy, dairy is a common one, but I'd already removed dairy because I knew that was the number two trigger, food trigger for autoimmune conditions. My triggers were chicken Mm -hmm. and bay leaf. Oh, wow. Right. From all the, um, I was eating broths. Mm-hmm. A lot of broths, right? Because that's supposed to be healing for the gastrointestinal tract. And what do you put in a lot of broths is, you know, bay leaf. Right. So I developed a sensitivity to bay leaf, mm-hmm. right? And so this is why it can be a little tricky to actually reverse these conditions because these foods that we think of as healthy and healing, can we can develop sensitivities to them. The good okay. news is all of these food sensitivities that I had are reversed. So I know without a doubt it is possible to reverse all of them. Um, and actually, by the way, I had, um, I mean, you've seen these food sensitivity tests, right? Where they grade your level of sensitivity, right? right. So, so they look at how, how um, strongly your immune system reacts to a given food and they give you a grade. Is it, you know, is it severe? Is it moderate or is it minor? Um, my reaction to dairy was the strongest you could ever have. And I actually have had problems eating dairy from the time I was born. Okay. Mm -hmm. So at the time I was working with um, a functional medicine doctor and he said, just be prepared. You'll never be able to eat dairy again. And I said, no, I don't believe that's possible. (laughs) Right. The body can heal. Right. Right, I'm not going to limit myself and say, that's not possible. That's not possible. No, anything is possible. We have stem cells in every organ of our body. Mm -hmm. Everything can regenerate, right? I can clear my biofield, right? Get rid of that energetic imprint and heal the body. So that's not going to happen to me. So I just never believed it. I did not accept that as a label put upon me. And guess what? I can totally eat dairy. I eat A2, A2, I drink A2, A2 raw milk, A2, A2 butter. I have no problems at all. I'm not sensitive to dairy at all. So even what people label in our own like naturopathic community sometimes as, oh, this is not possible. It's possible, right? If you believe it, it is possible. (laughs) Love it. Love it. No, and that you've educated us so much, Sina. I never, I 
I'm learning from you too. And I, I think it's, um, yeah, such a, you know, a deep insight, right? Especially when your gut is, you know, leaky and inflamed and you have dysbiosis and you're really reactive that the standard gluten-free is not enough. And then I like how you also look and identified a couple other key triggers because, you know, we need to calm things down and heal the gut. And then, you know, I think food testing and just even diet changes, some people, you know, can have resistance to them or, you know, I know when people are sick, they'll do anything, but there can be a lot of, a lot of emotion and resistance around food because people think forever, right? They think, oh my gosh, I'm never going to have this food forever. And forever is a long, you know, a lot for the human brain and to wrap around, you know, so I, I love that. And I've seen that in my practice too, where some people, you know, feel better in certain foods, but as they heal, you know, their resilience to different foods, you know, increases and they can have, um, you know, they do 80, 90% of, you know, have a lifestyle and, you know, they, they go out to eat or they do this or they, and they're not wrecked, you know, the next day, you know, so it's just building that resilience in the uh, digestive tract. I know my community will be thinking, okay, so, if, you know, a gluten-free diet is, you know, not what we're told, you know, like where are some resources? You go over that in your book, right? In um, your book, Beyond Labels, just um, what to look for and what's truly gluten-free. Do you go, do you go through that? I do. I do. So in, in um, both my books, I talk about that. In the first book, Hands Off My Food, I dive into it more. Um, and in that second book, Beyond Labels, I do go into like, these are the foods that are truly, you know, grain-free So an easier thing, an easier way to look for it is, um, so whole foods are always what I promote, you know, Mm -hmm. when possible, like regeneratively grown or organically grown whole foods, except the grain containing foods. So you're, so not the corn, right? You're not going to eat that. You're not going to eat the rice. Wild rice is actually okay. Wild rice does, as, as far as we know, wild rice does not contain any glutens. And I actually, my whole family eats wild rice. We don't have a problem with it. However, I will add a caveat. If you're going to eat the wild rice or any rice, like, so even if you, you know, are going to eat grains, you're going to eat brown rice, organic rice, no matter what kind of rice it is, soak it, right? Because we know rice is typically high in a toxic arsenic Mm -hmm. Uh, because of the way it's grown. You know, arsenic used to be used as a pesticide Mm -hmm. and it sits in the soil. And the way rice is grown, it's submerged under water and arsenic is water soluble. So it's a great environment created to have the rice just suck up all this um, arsenic that can be toxic. That's Mm -hmm. how I got arsenic um, poisoning Mm -hmm. was from, I was eating all these gluten-free foods that had all this rice in it. And I got um, poisoning, uh, arsenic poisoning from that. So it is in arsenic. The FDA recognizes, I mean, it is in rice. Arsenic is in, is in rice, not all rice, but enough rice to be um, concerned. And the FDA has recognized um, this as a problem. So what I do is I soak my rice. So I get a glass bowl. It must be glass. Don't use plastic. Get a glass bowl, put my rice in it, and I fill it up with water. You know, after I've rinsed out the rice, fill the bowl up with water at least six times the amount of water is what I do. And I soak it for at least 24 hours, preferably okay. 48. And then you kind of, you know, just, I don't like rinse it back, you know, in the, in the sieve, in the sieve, I basically just kind of dump out some water and then fill it back up, you know, maybe once or twice a day. Right. And it turns beautiful. The wild rice sprouts. It's so beautiful. And then I rinse it and then I pressure cook it. And that also, you know, helps you digest it more too, but that's how we, you know, deal with the arsenic and the rice. Now you are going to lose some of the water soluble vitamins, but 
I make up for them in other areas of my diet, you know, just nutrient dense foods, um, like these whole foods that, that I'm talking about. So that's what you can do is look for these whole foods, but you know, we all want processed foods sometimes, right? Like we want those comfort foods, those cookies and whatnot. So one thing that I tell people to do is look for grain free on the label. Don't even go to the gluten-free ones, right? Look for, it says grain free on the label, but you have to also check the ingredient list because I have found several products that have claimed they're grain free, right? Cause there's no regulation around that mm-hmm. at this point. Right. So mm-hmm. they claim they're grain free, but if you look at it, it will say like less than 2% of the ingredients made with X, Y, and Z. And oftentimes it will say like citric acid. Okay. You would think citric acid would be coming from citrus fruit. It right. doesn't. The majority right. of citric acid in our food supply comes from corn. And if it's not organic, it came from GMO corn that was sprayed likely with glyphosate. So citric acid is a big giveaway on these lists that that predominantly is from corn supplements that are vitamin C supplements. A lot of them come from corn. So you yeah. have to be careful there. Um, so anyhow, if you're in the grocery store, you're looking for ways to avoid glutens. It'd be these whole foods minus corn minus rice, except wild rice mm-hmm. and um, looking for truly grain free verbiage and check the ingredient list that it's grain free. Mm-hmm. Really great tips that um, it's always, as you said, like we think we know a lot and then there's just this next level, you know, to go, you know, about, cause it's, you have to be so educated, right. To be healthy um, in our society, because there are all of these loopholes that, you know, we're up against. Right. And so um, I didn't realize the citric acid piece. So thank you for sharing all of this, of course. And I know some, again, a lot of my community knows the difference, but I'm sure some people heard you say A2 dairy. Can you just explain what that is? Yes. Yes. So there's A1 um, and refer to the type of casing that's in the dairy. So there's A1 casing and there's A2 casing. The majority of the dairy products that are in the grocery stores, like your milks, your creams, things like that, they come, the yogurts, they come from A1 cows. So they have the A1 casing. The A2 is different. And it will say if it's from an A2 cow, it will be labeled A2 Mm-hmm. Right. Because this is um, like people are willing to pay more for the A2. Um, <laughs> and so the reason that I will consume A2 dairy products is because the casing looks very different than the A1. So the mm-hmm. A1 casing we have found out actually looks structurally similar to gluten. Mm-hmm. So the body can get confused. You know, say you're reacting to gluten. Um, the body can actually get confused between the gluten and the A1 casing molecule. It's called molecular mimicry. And it starts mounting an an inflammatory response against the A1 casein because it thinks that it's something harmful. You've just consumed, it's trying to protect you. A2 casein, as far as we know, it does not do that. It doesn't look structurally similar to gluten and it's not initiating these responses. So many people that have, uh, you know, gluten sensitivity or celiac disease or gluten intolerance who have healed themselves, right? I, I do, I, For people who come to see me, I always tell them, take the dairy out completely until you are healed. Okay. Mm -hmm. After that, then you can try to reintroduce the A2, A2 form, Mm -hmm. right? Preferably raw, right? I don't consume any pasteurized products anymore or homogenized products. I consume it raw. That way it has the enzymes and whatnot to help you digest that food. It has a good uh, microbiome in it. 
And that's, of course, you want to get it from a, a farm that you trust, right? So go check out the farm and ask the mm-hmm. questions. What are you feeding the cows? So mm-hmm. the A2, A2 milk that I get, it's from cows that are fed 100% grass. It's all organic, right? Mm-hmm. right? Some cows are fed like over the winter months, they might be fed grain in the form of corn. We know that when they eat that corn, those glutens can get into the milk. Mm-hmm. So it is transferred to the milk. Mm-hmm. So for people who've come to see me, I say to them, if it was me, I would not be drinking the A1. Even after I was healed, I would not drink it. You know, mm-hmm. I would stick with the A2 raw form. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to find, um, you know, a farmer who has, I mean, A2 is one thing and then the raw, you know, is a whole nother level. But how do you educate your patients how to navigate and find a local farm that um, they can buy this from? So um, I, I have a couple of websites I can send them to you about yeah. how to find Yeah, well, we can have them in the show notes, but please mention yeah. them here. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So there's some websites. And then the way I actually found my local farmer was I Googled it. Yeah. <laughs> so I just Googled the city where I live and I Googled, you know, A2A2 raw milk and different farms popped up on Google Maps. And then mm-hmm. I, and I always say, um, you, you need to vet the farmers, you know, and Joel would agree, you know, Joel Salatin, who I wrote yeah. the book with, he, who is a farmer, he mm-hmm. would agree, vet the farmers, right? So you, you ask them certain questions. What do you feed your cows? You know, do you give them antibiotics as a preventative, right? Are you giving them vaccines or, you know, do you give them hormones, things like this? And then you want to go visit the farm, right? You want to actually go check it out for yourself. And these reputable farms will let you on the farm. Like they, they will have transparency. They, they will welcome the questions. And when we went, they let us sample the milk too, to see, you know, like, did I feel like my body had this immediate response to it? You know, did it by, by muscle testing, did my body want that milk and whatnot? So I would call them first and vet them with the questions and then, you know, ask them to come visit the farm and then go visit them. But it, it, you definitely have to feel comfortable with it. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I and I think this is um an exercise, right, of feeling more connected to our food, right, and um, right. more connected to our farmers. And you know, I think um yes, it might not be in your daily routine that you're doing this now, but I think it's a a wonderful way to yeah meet the local farming community. You know, even expose your children to this. And I think we we still are really disconnected from you know our food supply. And I think as we you know, I really embraced uh, learning even more when I was at Polyface with you, just this whole regenerative agriculture movement. And, you know, really, I think we have to, when we're talking about health, we have to talk about, um, you know, when we're talking about healing the body and our health, and we, we cannot leave this out of the equation because we're so interconnected to the farms and the land and the soil. And we need to heal that <laughs> as much as we need to heal our bodies right now as well. Exactly. Can can I give you an example? Of, yeah, please. Okay. Yeah. So one reason why, so I do still shop in the grocery store. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I do like I shop on Thrive Market. I'll get like Misfits Market um, produce delivered to my door mm-hmm. as much as possible, though. I tried to get it from the farm and regeneratively grown. And um, I'll give you a couple examples. So one reason is because in my own healing journey, I realized how important it is to build a robust microbiome both mm-hmm. in and on your body. And when I started looking at the food supply, particularly in the grocery store, I realized pretty much everything in that grocery store, like almost everything in that grocery store is sterilized in mm-hmm. one way or another, meaning devoid 
of a healthy microbiome, right? Versus um, regeneratively grown food, right? Meaning regeneratively grown food, um, you're trying to build the soil. So mm-hmm. you're building a robust soil that is now feeding the food that you are going to eat. And we know through scientific literature, it's well documented that um, loss of microbial diversity mm-hmm. and contributes to all these chronic and autoimmune conditions. Mm-hmm. And um, we know, like from Dr. Hazan's work, that when yeah. you give somebody a fecal transplant, right, replace those microbes, they heal from these mm-hmm. illnesses. So it's mm-hmm. very, very important not only to stay healthy, but particularly when reversing a disease, it's very important to focus on building a robust microbiome every day through your food choices. And those choices are not in the grocery store. So I'll give you a couple examples. So um, produce, the fruits and vegetables, the majority of them are waxed. Okay. They're not only scrubbed, which removes a lot of the microbes, the good microbes, but then mm-hmm. they're waxed because they're grown from far away and they have to be transported, sometimes like 1,500 miles to get to your grocery store. That wax in and of itself oftentimes have fungicides in it, mm-hmm. right? Or grass chemicals, which we can get into grass if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that actually um, changes the microbiome, right? It's killing off those good microbes that you need to build your robust microbiome. So even the fruits and vegetables, even the organic ones are do not have this plentiful microbiome on them. Now, obviously processed foods, those are sterilized, right? You're not getting a good microbiome from those, but here's the one, here's two of them that usually shock people. Chicken, okay, mm-hmm. like legally, it's a federal law that any chicken sold in the grocery store has to be sterilized. And they usually do it by dipping it in chlorine. So the chicken takes the chlorine bath. And if it's not dipped in chlorine, right? So, so, so as people are becoming aware of this, they're like, wait, we don't want our chickens to be dipped in chlorine. Europe, Europe won't even allow our chickens to be sold to their citizens because they get bathed in chlorine, right? But FDA says, and USDA says it's good enough for us. So people became aware of this. And so company, some companies said, okay, we won't dip it in chlorine anymore. We'll um, dip it in like a vinegar solution with hydrogen peroxide. Well, the vinegar they're using comes from corn, right? And, and if it's not organic, it's coming from genetically engineered uh, corn that's been sprayed with glyphosate. But if you have this gluten sensitivity or you're trying to reverse the disease, you now have these, this corn on your, on your chicken. Mm-hmm. And I, I reached out to the company, one of these companies, and I said, hey, do you know if this corn, uh, the, some of the proteins from the corn get into the chicken when they're taking mm-hmm. this, you know, this bath, the sterilization bath? And they said, we don't know. Nobody knows that. So you know that there's some residual on there. Okay. So that was one thing I learned. Another thing that shocked wow. me was um, eggs. Mm-hmm. Eggs sold in the grocery store also have to be sterilized. They have to be dipped in like a chlorine solution or some equivalent. Usually it's, like I said, chlorine, right? Okay, eggs have a porous shell. We know this. The FDA knows this, right? They have it documented that they understand that it's porous. They understand and recognize that some of that chlorine gets into the egg itself. So you know what they declared it to be? A food additive. No, no. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be listed uh, on that egg carton. So you would never know. So, so you are pasture raised organic eggs that you buy at the store. Yep. Yep. And then organic pasture raised free range. None of that makes a difference. They all have to be sterilized, right? That's oh a federal gosh. rule and it gets into the egg. And by the way, do you know what the definition of free range actually is? Tell us. So like, right. Most people, when you say free range, they're thinking yeah. of 
a chicken out on grass in the sunshine, maybe eating a worm or something. Oh, no, no, no. Free range actually means that the chicken can extend the wing completely, but not necessarily extend both wings at the same time. No. Yeah. Most organic chickens are actually raised in confinement. So instead of like little cages, they're just raised in some big factory um, cage, you know, not seeing the sunlight. This is organic chickens, right? Not seeing the sunlight. They're living in their feces and, you know, chickens scratch, right? So they, they scratch up like the feces and stuff. It gets into the air. They breathe it in. They end up having um, lesions with, like leaky gut, similar to humans, right? And down their intestinal tract. And we know that the microbes from the feces actually gets down into the eggs of these chickens. So mm-hmm. that's organic. So this is what I'm saying. Like I learned, I, and I don't want to discourage people. If you're yeah. eating conventional foods, an easy first step is to, instead of reaching for conventional, reach for organic. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and that's a great first step that will really decrease your toxic burden on your body a lot because you're getting rid of the GMOs, right? You're getting rid of, in theory, you're getting rid of the glyphosate, right? You're getting rid of most antibiotics and the hormones. So you're doing yourself a really good favor by taking that initial step. What I'm trying to explain is that in my healing journey, I went through all these steps one at a time. And what I realized on the other end of it was that going organic, organic was not enough. And so there are all these loopholes in organic. Mm -hmm. So for instance, um, organic pork, right? Pigs, they can actually be raised on a slab of concrete and it's still considered organic. And then we have hydroponics, right? We have these fruits and vegetables. They're already in the grocery store. Most of them are not labeled. And these uh, fruits and vegetables are grown without soil at all. So, you know, they're grown like in a water solution Mm -hmm. and they pour in liquid nutrients. And by the way, Even in organic, organically labeled hydroponic fruits and vegetables, we have found out more recently that this liquid nutrients that they give them contained GMOs. Mm. All right. Which is against the the organic label, right? So, well, what do you think is going to happen though when you're eating these hydroponically grown fruits and vegetables that have not been raised in soil? They don't have the microbiome that they've um, adopted from the soil. I mean, what is that going to? How, what kind of effect will that have on our health? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's where we get our microbiome. A lot of our microbiome comes from what we eat and what we breathe in. So Mm -hmm. if you're relying just on the grocery store, it's a little bit harder is what I'm saying to build this robust microbiome. It really behooves you to start finding a local farmer who you trust. So like, for instance, um, that, that raw milk, obviously it's not pasteurized, right? It's got the good microbes in it. Um, I buy all my meat and all my eggs and all my poultry from Joel at Polyface Farm and he's exempt. So the chickens, he will sell chickens in a grocery store. Those chickens are not exempt. They actually have to be sterilized. When you buy them from, though from the farm, direct from the farm, oh, wow. there's an exemption. He doesn't have to sterilize those chickens. So mm-hmm. we get all of our meat and produce, I mean, all of our meat and poultry and eggs from our local farmer because it's not sterilized. Mm, wow. Wow. No, I I didn't know a lot of that. You know, so thank you for educating <laughs> us. And it's like amazing how resilient humans are. You know, that, right? you know that, like we, we actually like survived eating, you know, food. So, um, you know, disconnected from nature, you know, so, so yeah, exactly. I, you know, and I think, um, Obviously, as a naturopath and in the functional medicine community, people, of course, educate a lot on diet, 
you know, we, we talk a lot about diet and lifestyle, but you know, what I've kind of been re-inspired by is that maybe we're not even taking it to that next deeper level because, you know, again, education and just all of these factors that unless you dive deep, like you did in writing your books, you might just never even think to, you know, ask or look at. So I think this is really impactful. And so this was a huge part of your healing journey too. So really understanding what you were eating, what you were putting in your body in those really powerful decisions and your, your body healed. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and I want to actually reemphasize what you just said. The, our food system is so complicated that mm. when Joel and I were writing this book together, I mean, it took us like a year to write this book together, you know, and I came from this PhD in nutrition who healed herself. And he's obviously this regenerative farmer. It took both of us working together to figure out all these labels. Like that's how complicated it is. It took a farmer and a PhD in nutrition to be able to wade through the labels and really get to the bottom of it and figure out what is this label actually saying, you know? So there's something wrong with the food system when it's that complicated, you know? And so that's one of my things. I I, I always tell people just simple is better. Simple, you know, eat as close, uh, as closely as you can to the foods that God gave us, you know, mm-hmm. eat, eat that way. That's an excellent start right there is eat mm-hmm. as natural as possible, you know, mm-hmm. and if possible, eat those natural foods from a local farmer that you trust because it is complicated, you know, and I mean, I don't know how much time we have, but you know, there's the whole concept of grass and most people yeah, yeah. don't recognize yeah, tell, that. Yeah. Tell us about that. Okay. So, and I'll try to be quick. Um, yeah, yeah. I can have you on for three hours. <laughs> I know. Like maybe we should have, it should be like two parts. You know? I know. I know. Um, but so, so grass stands for generally recognized as safe. All right. So these are chemicals in our food supply that are not approved by the FDA. They, they don't test them and they don't regulate them. What happens is a chemical company creates a chemical and they decide we want to put this in the food supply. And so to get it um, allowed, I said it with quotations, right? To get it allowed in the food supply, all they have to do is hire somebody, like hire a scientist to declare that chemical to be grass, okay? And these scientists are usually bought and paid for by industry, all right? So they hire the scientist. The scientist says, yes, this is grass. And then it can immediately be added to our food supply. They don't even have to notify the FDA that they've added it to our food supply. But, but here's the kicker. Guess who made it voluntary? They, guess who said you don't have to notify the FDA? Who? The FDA. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the FDA themselves. Yeah. Yet, yeah. Yet, um, there are about um, 10,000 chemicals in our food supply, right? These chemical additives, you know, we'll, we'll say for short, they're not technically all called chemical additives, but there's 10,000 chemicals in general in our food supply. Most of them entered our food supply through that grass loophole. Mm. So they're not tested. You know, they're not monitored. They're not regulated by the FDA. The FDA doesn't even know about all those chemicals that are in a food supply. So here's the question. The FDA, right? Most of us think, what's the job of the FDA, right? Well, To protect our food supply. (laughs) And that's certainly their tagline. That's what they talk about on their website. They're there. They're paid with our tax dollars to protect our food supply. How are they actually protecting the food supply when they don't know which chemicals are in it? Mm. How can you? And if there's a problem with one of those chemicals, they can't announce a recall. How are you going to know? That's incredible. 
Yeah. yeah. So, so that's grass. And most people eat grass chemicals every day mm. and they just don't know it. Mm. The only way that you actually know if something's grass is you have to go onto the FDA's website and there's a grass database and you have to type in that individual chemical and find out if it pops up on the grass database. Were you doing that a lot writing for this book? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And it was yeah. crazy. There were, I was finding genetically engineered um, ingredients that were declared grass. Oh, and in fact, and in fact, a lot of people think that the FDA approved GMOs to be on the market. They did not approve them. They actually presumed, and this is a quote, they presumed GMOs to be grass. What? Yep. So the GMOs, at least in terms of the FDA's approval of them, they fell into that grass loophole. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I, what are they doing? What is the yeah. FDA's actual job? Like, right. They don't protect the food supply. And this was, and so as I started learning more and more about the food supply, I realized it's up to the people. It's up to each individual person to stand up and protect the food supply. And the way we do that is to become educated about what we're eating. And we speak with our dollars. Mm-hmm. Right? We move the market with our dollars because the government's not going to change the, you know, the, the, the FDA said it's not their responsibility, right? I mean, it's in mm-hmm. black and white. I have a quote in my book. They yeah. said the safety of the food is up to the consumer. So mm-hmm. they're not going to change. We know EPA, right? The EPA is in bed with, with Bayer, Monsanto and all them. They're not going to change. They're not going to mm-hmm. change these regulations. It's really up to the people understanding what they're eating and deciding, you know what? I don't want to feed my family those toxins anymore. And so Mm. I'm going to buy this product. I'm going to go to this farmer instead. And we shift the market by using our dollars because that's what companies respond to is the Mm. bottom dollar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's the only way, right? To feel empowered. And even though it's, it's complicated, you know, we saw even the organic movement in you know, Walmarts and Targets and not that that's gold standard, but it's like, you know, people, you know, shows demand, right? You know, um, so no, I, I'm, you know, we have to feel empowered, right? Because this can feel really overwhelming very quickly. But I think this for me, for my journey, this um, connecting with you and connecting with Joel and Polyface just really reignited my inspiration, you know, oh. for looking at, yeah, looking at all of this, because, you know, you, you know, I went down the rabbit hole when I was a student and I've tried every diet and, you know, all of that. And, you know, I, I sometimes make these assumptions by the time someone comes to me that they've exhausted this, they've been educated about this, that they've really done their homework, you know, and we just have to continue to not make that assumption because as you say, that, that it's complicated and they're new, you know, more and more chemicals introduced into our food supply, you know, every year. And so I think, um, yeah, that's where I just love this full circle of, you know, adding not only this, you know, functional naturopathic model, but we really have to bring the regenerative agriculture uh, movement into healthcare because that's where health really starts. So I think it's just really inspirational. I know you already understand this and know this work, but it, it inspired me a lot. And I, and I'm seeing even a few patients in my head right now that, you know, I think they're doing their autoimmune and they're, you know, on the gluten-free diet, but maybe they're not, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe they're not on the, you know, the really, um, you know, doing everything that we, we can for them. So I just, um, so admire you on so many levels and your passion and dedication. And I would love, I would love to have you on a part B of the podcast too, because you, um, we didn't even have time to touch on the whole emotional aspect to a chronic illness and recovering from that. And you did a beautiful talk on that on Polyface. And I think, um, our, 
you know, our community would love to hear that piece of your story. So we'll do part B, Sina. And okay. no, yeah, please, you know, we're, this is one of many conversations to come. And, you know, I want people to know about, you know, you have a new um, program and your books and, you know, your website. So just tell everybody where to connect with you and how to connect with you. Okay. Yeah. So my website is Dr. Sina McCullough. Dot com. You can also type in handsoffmyfood.com and it will bring you to my website. On my website, you can find my two books. The first one's Hands Off My Food. The second one's Beyond Labels. And um, as you mentioned, I've recently launched um, an online coaching program. It's called Go Wild. And the link to that is also on my homepage. And I'm really excited about it because I've worked with clients for a while now. And like you said, what I've learned is that they might just have a little stumbling point, just, just little things. Like they might've tried all these other things, but there's a couple key things that like are missing. And instead of, you know, it gets expensive, right? When you're out of pocket, right. And you're not covered by insurance, all these, you know, individual consultations get expensive. And I wanted to actually provide something for people that number one worked, right? Actually reverse diseases. And that's why I tested it on so many of these other diseases. Um, like my girlfriend who has MS, she tried my program and reversed the MS, right? So I'm a scientist. I wanted to make sure it worked. So we tried it out first. So I wanted to create something that worked and something that was affordable. Mm -hmm. So it's that program is the price of one consultation with me. (laughs) So it's very affordable and, um, it's 20 hours of coaching videos from me. 21 hours of cooking videos. It's, um, there's a cookbook. There's, um, you know, eight weeks of meal plans that I crafted. Um, there's lists of my personal care products that I like, uh, household cleaning supplies. I like how I save time and money in the kitchen, how I handle travel situations and social settings. Like, cause that's a difficult thing when you're on, you know, these special diets, you know, and there's live every month I do a live Q and a session and, the program's unique because these are unlimited. Mm. You know, most programs are like, you get six months of these live Q and A's. You can attend these as long as you need me. Right. And and what I've done is I've crafted them to also be a support group Mm -hmm. because that's one thing I think is really missing Mm -hmm. is that when you're really sick and you're trying to find answers, oftentimes you don't have the support. Like, like Mm -hmm. in my case, which is a common, the medical system is like, we don't know, like it's got to be in your head or the, or they, you know, you feel unsupported because they can't find the answer. They can't help you fix yourself. Right. Uh-huh. Some of us have family, like my family turned against us in, in my journey, just like we were the black sheep. They just totally abandoned us. We weren't invited to any more gatherings for the family. Uh-huh. It was awful. It's a, can be a very lonely journey. Mm-hmm. And also it can be challenging. And so you need someone, I think, to help encourage you and keep you motivated. So these Q&A sessions are also my way of creating a support community for people so that they don't ever have to feel alone again. Mm-hmm. You know, Cause that's, as you know, feeling alone, that itself can make you sick. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So anyhow, I've offered, I'm offering this program as well. Hopefully it's an affordable option. Um, mm-hmm. And it walks you through these, all these little nuances that I have found, you know, mm-hmm. and covers all these different layers of healing, including the emotional layer, which we'll get to next time. Yeah, next time for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. well, no, the, it's incredible. And it sounds like a really, um, you know, just um, giving you the meat of what you need to do, you know, so that you can really create change and momentum and see your health 
you know, flourish. So no, I'm so glad that you put all of that together. It seems like an amazing amount of work and you know, we'll have all the information in the show notes to link to that. And it's just um, always so lovely to connect with you. And I, again, we're going to do part B and I just, um, just love learning from you, Sina. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spreading this message of hope and for giving all of us a voice. You know, as you know, we're being censored right and left. So I appreciate you, you know, helping us get the word out there. And I'm so excited. She's going to be on our podcast too, on mine and Jill's podcast. So (laughs) (laughs) we're going to just be talking, you know, so I love it. So, well, thank you so much, Sina. And again, we'll have um, all of Sina's information in the show notes. So until next time. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Sina McCullough. Please check out her website, drsinamcullough.com, and please check out her new program, Go Wild. I hope you're enjoying these podcasts, and if you're finding them beneficial or inspirational, we would love and be honored if you would leave a review on iTunes. Have a beautiful day.